Hi, and today I'd like to welcome along Bran and Poe of Poe Group Advisors. Um, they're based in, in Charlton in the US and uh, Charleston in the US and um, help accounting firms buy and sell their practices. Um, so could you tell us a little bit more about Poe Advisors, please, Grant? Poe Group Advisors, please, Brandon. Yes, absolutely. Thank you, Matt. Um, yeah, we um, we specialize only in the sale of uh, accounting practices. We help people buy and sell firms. Uh, we operate in the United States and in Canada, and we've uh, been helping people do this for a long time when we've done hundreds of transactions. Mm. Okay. Um so yeah, Brandon's gonna um gonna answer some questions. We're gonna have a chat about um some of the kind of issues around buying and selling firms, um, which is not something that I see in the kind of accounting media quite a lot. So it's really interesting to have him on and um I guess the first thing I wanted to ask you is that in a general way, um you've got an owner who's who's thinking of exiting their practice. What are the kind of common challenges they're going to come up against? Well, the, the first challenge that someone faces when they're thinking about selling is the timing of it. And it's, it's difficult to get the timing right. Um, I tell people that it's always better to go towards something than to go away from something. Um, so it's good if you're leaving for a new business opportunity or if you have some big life goal that you're ready to pursue like travel or um, you know, major hobbies that you want to really focus on. Yeah, that's the best in terms of the timing. So it's important to get the timing right. And also if there are multiple partners and decision makers involved, sometimes the timing, um, getting that coordinated with everyone so it works for everyone is, is a challenge too. Mm. Um, other things that people really have to um, understand is just the, the importance of uh, terms in the deal. Um, I know here in North America, I would say a lot of practices are sold uh, over a long period of time and a lot of private sales are done on an earnout sort of basis and there's a lot of, a lot of problems that we see when firms do that, most of our deals are sold um, on a fixed price basis. Mm. And um, the other major challenge is getting the transition right. You know, having a good smooth handoff between the, the seller and the purchaser so mm -hmm. that you, you, you've got clients that are happy and employees that are happy so that the business can be successful, you know, mm. after closing. Yeah, I've been involved in not an accounting firm, but um, a business that was was sold and it had an earnout, and it ended up um, because that wasn't being met. There, there was a lot of pressure being made by shareholder employees to to, to hit targets, and and it demotivated the whole staff um, and made it quite an unpleasant place to work. Oh wow, that's um, yeah, the staff. I think staff sometimes get overlooked a little bit. There's such a, um, there is a lot of pressure a lot of times on the purchaser to keep clients happy and, um, you know, meet the targets that they have set for themselves and pay the debts that they have taken on to purchase. And um, so 
you know, from a staff person's perspective, um, you know, all that, they feel all that, they feel all those pressures. And so um, that's a good point. Um, funnily enough, I was talking to somebody who's just, just actually sold their business and I talked to them a few months back and, and, and gave them some advice that um, I was given when I tried to sell a business about 10 years ago, which was that um, when you do that, it's like having two jobs. One of them's your job and the other one is, is kind of selling the business. Would you say that the you have to um, factor in and kind of like an additional amount of time to, to, to go through with either the buying or the selling? Well, I think from the from the seller's perspective, um, it is it can be a very time consuming endeavor. And not only the time, it's just the it's the energy it can kind of be um, you know emotionally kind of require a lot of energy. And I think the most disheartening thing is you get a buyer involved and you do a lot of work to try to get the transaction to complete. And for whatever reason, it doesn't make it to the finish line. Uh, that can be really disheartening. Mm. So, um, we, you know, that's where we step in. Uh, we really simplify the process. We have a five-step process. We call it the seamless succession. And we allow the business owners to focus on their business and minimize the amount of time involved uh, to focus on the sale of the business. And we also, we also, you know, what we do is not rocket science, but it's what we do every day. And so we recognize, we've seen most of the things that uh, get in the way of a deal um, making it to the finish line. And so um, you want someone that's been there and can see around the corner a little mm -hmm. bit, I think that's a big part of what we offer as well is uh, when we see those red flags go up, we recognize them, we call them out and we deal with them. And um, I always say, if a, if a deal's not going to make it, you want to know that as soon as possible. Yeah. Yeah. That's something I was always told in sales that there's, there's no wrong, there's no problem with a sale not happening, but that the biggest problem is it, it not happening slowly, <laughs> you know, if just, just fail it quickly. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So you want to get all the issues out in the open so they can be dealt with. And if you can't have, you know, if the deal doesn't work for whatever reason for the parties, then everyone can part as friends and, um, you know, free up. And the purchaser is free to go look at the next opportunity and the seller can focus on other purchasers. Mm -hmm. so, so you mentioned some of those kind of um, common pitfalls um, th that you see. What would some of those be? Well, I think um, one common pitfall is if, if the fit is not right, there's nothing you can do to um, – you can't force it. And mm. what I have observed is suppose a buyer um, makes an offer on a firm and the fit is not right, that usually that – usually, um, surfaces before closing at some point yeah um and you, you can't fix that so um so by, by again, sorry to interrupt by fit do you mean culture or what, what kind of things would 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 fit entail 
Well, I think there can be a lot of things that you have to look at. One is um, the management style often. Mm. So, you know, if, if um, and, and that kind of goes in with culture, if the seller, the owner has a very casual style and um, you, you get someone in there that's got a more sort of uh, much more formal systematic mm-hmm. style, um, if the seller offered a lot of flexibility in people's schedules and the new owner doesn't want to do that, that, that can cause conflicts. And mm-hmm. um, Other pitfalls are um, not getting, not getting the deal on the table very quickly. So, um, you know, a lot of private sales, I talk with people and what they do is, um, They'll have a letter of intent. The purchaser will provide a letter of intent with just the basic deal points. And then they'll say, okay, we want exclusive rights to negotiate this deal. um, And we want to come in and do our due diligence. So they do that. And then once you finally get the agreement that really lays out the terms in a concrete way, it's nothing like you anticipated in the letter of intent. So um, it's important not to let either party kind of drag things along too far or get them in the wrong order because that can really um, cause, a, cause a deal to fail and you've got all this time invested. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to efficiently evaluate those opportunities. And by efficiently evaluating each one, you can evaluate more. So if you're from the sales side, um, you know, if you've got an efficient way to evaluate buyers, you're going to be able to entertain more at one time. Mm-hmm. Um, and so again, that's kind of what our process is designed to do. Okay. Um, so, I mean, assuming most people want to exit their firms at, at some point, they're an owner. Um, how, how soon do you think they should, should start thinking about exiting? Well, I think you should be thinking about exiting all the time. I mean, you think even if you're starting a company, you should be thinking about your exit. Mm -hmm. It's, um, you're building a, you're constantly building an asset that's going to have value and it's going to be sold. So, you know, the major decisions that you make along the way are going to affect that value. So I think it's important um, to always at least be thinking about that in the back of your mind. But in terms of probably more to your question, when should you start really planning it? I think you know, if three to five years is probably a good a good point to where you need to be kind of thinking about succession in a more concrete way. Mm-hmm. Um, deciding if you've got partners, maybe even sooner than that because um, it's rare that partners are going to have the same exit timetable. Yeah. So that has to be worked out pretty far in advance. I mean, you know, in, in terms of on the, on the subject of partners and thinking about exiting, if you're creating a partnership agreement, it needs to address the exiting mm-hmm. in the partnership agreement. So um, it's something that should be woven into your your thoughts at every you know every stage of the business. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, 
So I guess once you once you've kind of started to make that plan, what are the what are the things that, that a practice should start doing? You know, what are the kind of I guess some of the easy wins that they can start off with um, to to tick off in, in in that plan for exit. Well, I think one of the main things that you got to think about what people are buying. They're buying a stream of cash flow. So cash flow is very important to the business. So anything you can do to maximize the profitability um, and the, the fewer hours you work, the more desirable the business is. So you need to mm-hmm. focus on making the, the, the business more desirable mm-hmm. for the eventual owner. And the funny thing is a lot of times when people really do that, if they really make some changes to their practice you know, three to five years before they sell it, sometimes they find out that they don't want to sell it as, thought, as soon as they thought, thought they did. So, um, you know, making your practice better is always a, a good idea. That, 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 I think that's that that's very profound. In the, um, the, there's a book I really rate, which is a, a book called Rework, which is by mm-hmm. well, there's a company called Thirty Seven Signals who produce a piece of software called Basecamp. They're quite unconventional business guys, and one of the things they say, actually, well, probably contrary to what you said, is don't plan for an exit. They, they kind of did. They kind of kind of say the same thing, but what what they said was build build a good business because then either way you've either got something that people want to buy, like you say you've added a lot of value there, made it desirable, or you've got something that you want to keep. <laughs> you know, if 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 you've got a business that's delivering great cash flow and profits, and you don't spend too many hours in, like you say, you might turn around and just be like, well, yeah, I could sell this, or I could just you know do a few hours and and, and make some good money. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah, I think the planning the planning is also good in terms of the staff. Um, you know, in a CPA firm, um, most people think that okay, if you're a purchaser, most people think, well, my risk in buying a firm is in client retention. Mm-hmm. And client retention, you know, in a purchase is usually. Um, if the transition is handled reasonably well, it's really not that not that big of an issue. It's not that difficult to to pull off a good smooth transition. Where you have problems is if you have staff that go out and pose a competitive threat. Mm. And so, um, you know, if you are three to five years out and you've got key staff, um, it's it's great if you can get some non solicitation agreements or some. Uh, protection so that when you sell the firm, the buyer doesn't have to worry about that risk. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I, I think in a CPA firm, you do kind of have to do some planning. Um, and and so many so many firm owners um, try to do internal successions. You know, they have somebody on staff that they do want to sell it to, mm-hmm. and um, you know that's. What if you approach that person, you know, five, you know, the day that you want to sell, and they go, "Well, I don't really want to buy it." Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, I mean, that happens too. And and then if they say, you know, if there's no sort of non-compete or non-solicitation, then what's to keep that person from just opening their own firm? And yeah, there's not much you can do about that. It's yeah, kind of difficult position to be in. So, mm. um, but yeah, you got to build a good business because people are buying buying the cash flow. Yeah. Um, and um, 
what I see in terms of cash flow, if I had to say one thing that could really improve an accountant's cash flow, it's probably just their pricing. Okay. Accountants are no- notorious for underpricing their yeah. services. And um, would you say there's any difference between is is there a kind of um any kind of like value multiplier between firms who bill per hour or do value based or kind of packaged price, fixed pricing? Well, I think the um, I, I think on the you know if if a buyer is looking at a firm and one does hourly billing and one does value pricing, they're not really going to care about that distinction very much. They're going to look at the results. Yeah. And what what I would say is is when you compare firms that bill by the hour versus firms that value price, the value pricing firms typically are way more profitable. Okay, that's um, interesting. That's that's been my experience, um, because they think about their work differently. They yeah. think about uh, the results of their work versus the inputs. And yeah, that's a more entrepreneurial way of looking at pricing. It's the way most business owners think about pricing. Mm-hmm. For some reason, accountants don't think of pricing that way. <laughs> <It's>, yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, it's a it requires a big change in perspective, mm. but um, but sometimes not because a lot of times people say that bill by the hour they're not they're not actually billing by the hour they're keeping up with their hours and then they're value pricing. Yeah. <laughs> so if you're value pricing, what's the point in keeping up with the hours? But um, yeah, but you could almost say yeah, that about that, any business, couldn't you? That what's the point in being efficient? You know, you've still got to that. That's how you become profitable, isn't it? Is by um, you know you, you work hard and <laughs> become efficient. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Um, one thing. Um, actually, one one more question on that kind of value side of it was. Um, how important is technology in that mix? So, I mean, obviously, I think you know, without explicitly saying that, you, you know, having good systems is really important because that's what makes you work less and um, become more efficient and more profitable. Um, you know, do, do firms that have a high adoption of technology tend to get um, good, good values when they sell? Um, you know, that's a good question. I... I... I think I've seen firms that have fairly simple technology in place uh, sell very well, and then I've seen them. Um, I've seen people get too carried away with high tech. Yeah. And um, you know, it's sort of like that's what an owner might be interested in. They might be very interested in creating a state-of-the-art firm in terms of technology, but. Um, that's what they do to hide from the real work. <laughs> mm. uh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you, know, you know, and um, so technology will only carry you so far. Mm-hmm. Um, um, there are some advantages in having good systems, absolutely. Um, what I would say is the, the, the best selling point is to have good management systems in place, good ways to track your workflow. Um, Good ways to evaluate the work produced by your staff. 
um, yeah, those are important things in terms mm. of um, someone to be able to step into a practice and take over it very well. I mean, everybody expects mm -hmm. work papers to be in good shape. So, um, you know, good technology can certainly um, influence that. Yeah, because people always talk about leveraging technology, and, and I think it is the other way around. It's like um, you use technology to leverage your management systems or your workflow systems that, you know, the technology can only ever be a reflection of what it's what's actually being put through it, right? Right, exactly. Yeah, okay. Um, one thing that um, I've had a few conversations with some of our clients and other accounting firms with is um, over what they call a firm. So, you know, do they call it um, a more traditional name, which is like, um, you know, Smith & Jones um, Partners, or um, should they pick a name like, um, you know, uh, forward accountants or something like that, that that's basically a generic brand name that it doesn't matter who the the people behind that are um can can having that kind of name help sell the business well we actually um you know in a lot of the areas that we work in you you've got state boards um that won't allow you to take um the name of the previous owner mm. so um we we um now they'll now if you if you name it something that's not the name of the owner i think that would transfer however in i would say in the majority of cases when we uh help with the sale of the practice the name does change mm. and i don't see that being an issue i actually think that often um if you try to mask a sale as something other than a sale, mm -hmm. you know, if you try to mask it as a merger and you, and the name sort of stays the same and you're not, sh you know, when you communicate to the clients, what has happened um, with the transaction, um, if you communicate it in any way that tries to mask it, um, that ends up backfiring on, on the purchaser because you know, you're starting when you when you sell a firm, um, you buy a firm. You're starting a new relationship with these clients, and you know the accountant, the accountant, the, the relationship with the accountant and their client is a, is one based on trust, and mm -hmm. you want to start a relationship where you're sort of telling a, a a small lie, for lack of a better word. Yeah. So. Um, what we what we advise our clients is is hey you're changing the name, um, this is an opportunity for you to um, begin this relationship and start branding your own name and uh, ultimately um, you know it, when we transition a firm what generally happens is the clients are going to give the new owner a chance they're they're gonna they're gonna let that new person do that work and as long as the work is as long as the service is good and and they're happy with uh, with with that and they trust the work, um, they don't have any reason to leave. Mm. So, um, you know, generally with with a sale, that name change is not going to be a big deal. It's really all about the service. Okay. Yeah, that's interesting because I think I think a lot of firms would would consider that a big issue. You know, I I've certainly de dealt with. 
clients here who um you know they've got they've got a firm name that's like three different people's surnames and you ask them about it oh, and and those people left the business 20 years ago <laughs> and they're still trading under right. this name because it's got some supposed currency in the in the local area which um yeah i find weird and and it wouldn't bother me if my accountant changed names as long as the service was the same because you know i'm not going to just up and leave because you'd still be going to somebody new anyway so it kind of yeah you, you're better to stick with them i think yeah yeah and like i said a lot of the state boards you can't uh a lot of the areas that we work in you can't keep the name anyway i didn't realize that that's interesting yeah okay um well um you know, we've, we've chatted before about you, you obviously your approach and, and it's slightly counterintuitive um, to, to what some people might think. Can you can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, we um, we actually recommend very quick transitions mm -hmm. and um, we don't do that because it's easier for the seller and they're eager to leave and go off to, uh, you know, live in Australia for a year or whatever. We, we do that because it actually works better for client retention. Mm -hmm. um, so we recommend a brief transition. Um, and it, it's, um, you know, I, I tell people the example, suppose you sell your firm and let's say you, you stick around and you're in the conference room with a client meeting. And in that conference room, there are three people. There's the purchaser, the seller and the client. Who, who do you think the client is going to direct their questions toward in that meeting? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and everybody says, "Well, they're going to probably talk to the seller," and and that's true. That's what happens. And what you know, what that buyer? It's almost like the buyer is uh, trying is someone that the seller is trying to foist upon the client in that in that situation. Mm -hmm. and so it puts the it puts the the buyer in a difficult position. Whereas if that buyer were just uh, briefly introduced to the client mm -hmm. and was, he, he, he or she would be better off meeting with that client by themselves because then they would have the opportunity to really develop that relationship, start, mm. um, you know, start creating that bond. Mm. So um, we find that, when transition is handled fairly well, um, and we've got a whole process that we go through a method for uh, advising clients on transition. Um, a brief transition is actually better and has better results. And um, you don't have all those control issues. You know, if, um, if a seller is there in a practice for 25, 30 years, they tend to have a they tend to think that, that no one else can do it quite the way they did. And, mm. and they're right that no one's going to do it exactly the way they did. But um, it's time to, you know, when you sell your practice, it's time to let go and let somebody else take over the reins. Yeah, definitely. So, well, yeah, so I, I think most people think that longer transition is helpful, but we find that it's actually a hindrance. Yeah. 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 Okay, thanks, Brandon. Well, look, that's been really fascinating. Um, before we go, um, I know you've written a book which is called Accountant's Flight Plan. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, it's um, 
it's about 100 pages long. It's a really easy read. It's um, I wrote it. I, I've been I've been selling accounting practices for over a decade now, and um, every once in a while I have a conversation with accountant an accountant who does something especially well. Uh, some some people are really good at pricing. Um, yeah, some people are really good at managing staff. Some people are really good with technology. And so whenever I would uh, recognize a really good strength of a, of a practice, I made a point to start asking people about it. And I would take notes. And um, one day it dawned on me that I probably got a book here. So mm -hmm. um, I kind of went through my notes and, and wrote a book about sort of my observations about what I see as best practices. Um, we kind of have a, a, a nice perspective because um, we talk with a lot of owners and, and we see their practices from a high level. So I felt like we had a really interesting vantage point to uh, gather this information. And um, I think it's really been valuable for people who've, who purchased it. What was that available? Uh, it's available on my website, pogroupadvisors.com, okay. hard copy, and um, you can buy it as an ebook through the American Institute of CPAs. Okay. Um, well, what I'll do uh, when we put the podcast up, um, th th we'll put some details up there as well, so people okay, can find perfect. out about it. That'd be great. Well, thanks a lot for coming along, Brandon. Um, uh, really appreciate that. Um, and yeah, we'll put some details up about about the book and about Poe Group Advisors, so people can can find out more. Okay, awesome. Thanks, Brandon.